0: Good morning. We are almost through our Dangerous Faith series, looking at the book of Acts and what it was for the first Christians to live out their faith in the face of opposition and hardship, and about the persecuted church now, and what it is to practice faith in the face of challenge and adversity. To get a perspective on the series so far, I found this timeline of Acts. Now don't be put off by all the boxes. The numbers correspond to each chapter. You can see how it traces the journey through the book. And so right back at the start of our series, we started at the end of Acts, chapter 28, with Paul under house arrest, reflecting that the key character of the book is not any of the leadership people, but in fact the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing to spread the gospel. And then in our second week, we went back to the start, to Pentecost, where the Spirit comes upon the apostles. And you can see that the square numbers relate to the different weeks in our series. You may remember this map showing how the story of these 28 chapters is the way in which the Holy Spirit enabled the gospel to spread from one city, Jerusalem, out to Samaria, to Antioch, and then ultimately through Paul's journeys to the rest of the world, which in those days was basically Rome, where Acts ends up. Along our journey, we have looked at how the church was persecuted with the killing of Stephen, and then scattered as a result of that persecution, and we looked at the story of Philip, for example, preaching in Samaria in Acts 8. Then we came to Paul's own conversion from being a persecutor to being saved and ultimately persecuted himself and the passage that Laura read last week described how Barnabas then brought Saul Paul to Antioch where they were first called Christians to train him in leadership before both Paul and Barnabas were sent out on mission and all of that brings us to today and to Acts chapter 18. We've jumped ahead in the story and now Paul is out on his missionary journeys. He's already preached and established churches in Philippi, Athens and now Corinth. And just before we read today's verse, next week Paul, Phillips, our Paul, will be finishing off the series talking about Paul's arrest and ultimate persecution. And you can see the sense of the narrative sweep as the church grows and spreads. And for those of you who'd like to see this chart again, I'll make a link available if you want to download it. So as I said, today's passage is from Acts chapter 18 and it takes place in Corinth where Paul has stopped off on one of his missionary travels. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. From now on I'll go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to our law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanour or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. And then the crowd there turned on Sostheneses, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatever. This passage is describing how the church in Corinth was planted by Paul along with this other couple, Aquila and Priscilla. As you can see, Paul preached the message of Jesus both to Jews in the synagogue and to Gentiles and was often getting into trouble with the Jewish leaders as Jesus himself had done. The key passage is in verse 9 where Paul has this vision. You see, his normal pattern was not to stay very long in any one place. Often it was his preaching that provoked such opposition that he'd get into trouble and have to move on quickly, like when he escaped Antioch in a basket that we heard about a couple of weeks ago. But in Corinth, God specifically told Paul to stay. Keep speaking and do not stay silent. I am with you, I have many people in this city, is what the Lord said. I don't believe that he means there are many believers here already, but that there are many people who are ready to believe. And as a result, Paul did stay and work with this couple to gather the new believers and plant the Corinthian church. Now our Open Doors video this week focuses on the nature of that church and on church life as the church developed and grew and what we can learn from them. And the speaker is again the author Nick Page and the talk is called They Were Tent Makers.
1: The Apostle Paul That's how we think of him. His name was Paul and his job was an apostle. It's a very holy-sounding job. He did other things, of course. He wrote letters, thought grand theological thoughts, but they were all holy things as well. But Acts gives a broader picture. In Acts 18, Paul, the traveler, arrives in Corinth, and in verses three and four, there's an interesting little detail about him. He had a trade. He was a tent maker. We don't think about this much because we prefer to focus on the theologian and the church planter. But the thing is, you can't have one without the other. Without his ability to travel and earn a living, Paul would have had no one to write to, and possibly even not much to say. In the ancient world, tent makers worked with a range of materials not just canvas but leather as well. So like a lot of craftsmen before and since Paul was versatile and he was also able to travel all he needed was his bundle of tools, knives, awls, sharpening stones, needles, thread and carrying that he could travel from city to city and earn a living. There were two reasons why people like Paul needed to be mobile. The first was that he consciously decided to take the gospel on the road. He was a traveling evangelist and teacher. And the second reason is that because he was a travelling evangelist and teacher, he was always getting kicked out of places. That's how he arrived in Corinth in Acts 18. He'd first been kicked out of Philippi and then driven out of Thessalonica and Berea by mobs. But in Corinth, he found a home and a workshop with a couple called Priscilla and Aquila. Like Paul, they were tent makers. Like Paul, they were followers of Jesus. And like Paul, they too had been kicked out in their case, thrown out of Rome on the orders of the Emperor Claudius. We can imagine their living conditions. Corinth was full of shops set around small squares or markets where artisans could ply their trade. Generally, the owners lived above the shop. Priscilla and Aquila probably rented a shop with a room above it. They would have slept in the upper room and Paul, well, Paul probably slept in the workshop. So that's the origin of the church in Corinth. Three exiles gathering together in a tentmaker's workshop. They didn't have a church building. The early church, whether in Rome or Jerusalem or Corinth, met in domestic settings. There were no official public church buildings as such. For most of the first three centuries of its life, the Christian church was a house church. Sometimes Christians went to the synagogue, but they were soon exiled from those meetings. Instead, they met in ordinary places, houses, tenement buildings, apartments, workshops. Acts tells us that the converts of Paul and Priscilla and Aquila eventually start meeting in the house of a man called Justice. But before that, when there was, was just a handful of them, the first meeting place must have been in that workshop itself. So imagine an early church service in Corinth. They would meet early in the morning or late at night on the first day of the week. They had to meet early outside working hours because Sunday was an ordinary day. And these were ordinary working people. The tools would be put away, the floor swept, the shutters closed, the room lit by the smoky oil lamps. And they would sit there on mounds of leather hides or bales of canvas or the coils of rope. And there, in that very ordinary space, they would share extraordinary things. The bread and the wine and the stories about Jesus. That's the other thing. They had no Bibles. They might have had some copies of letters or parts of what we call the Old Testament, but but they didn't have this, a book with all the official bits in it. They were still writing that. What they had were stories, the things about Jesus that they'd heard and remembered and passed on, and for many of them what they'd actually seen. It's a picture of church that many Christians around the world would recognize today. Today the most common place for secret believers to worship is in a flat or a house. So let's picture one of those meetings, today's secret church. It happens in an ordinary house. Individuals arrive one by one at intervals so as not to draw too much attention. They gather in darkened rooms, the windows covered. People sit on the floor, no sermon, no loud music. And like Paul's church, no one has a Bible with them. They might have Bibles at home, kept secret and hidden, but no one carries a Bible with them in public. Instead, they have the Bible in here, in the head, and in the heart. There are churches like that all over the world, in Somalia, in Iran, in Vietnam, in China, anywhere where Christians cannot meet openly and in public. Sometimes the problem is not secrecy, but exile. Many Christians find themselves, like Priscilla and Aquila, exiled from their home. In Erbil, in Iraq, one group of displaced Christians has their church in a tent, in the middle of a small square. Paul would really have felt at home. Their former church building is some 45 miles away in a place now occupied by Islamic state militants. But they've learned to improvise. And this is what their church leader says. We have our prayers and services in exactly the same way as we did in our village. So in this way, we remember our church and our village. He says, of course, I desire to go back to my church, the place I grew up in. But if I'm called to serve in the desert, I can still serve there from sand I can make a church. When you have a dangerous faith you have to be prepared to live on the move. Jesus after all was always calling people to movement because it's only when you move out of your comfort zone that you find out how strong your faith really is. The early church learned that. They learned that because Jesus was always with them their church could meet anywhere. Their Bible was in their heads and in their hearts. For the persecuted church the same is true. One of the things which Open Doors does is supply the persecuted church with Bibles, but the words never stay on the page. I've met many Christians from the persecuted church who can recite huge chunks of the Bible from memory. In one African country I visited a safe house where Christians were learning huge parts of the Bible and were able to recite it by heart. Why? Because they were preparing to move, to return to their homes, where it might be dangerous to have a physical copy of the Bible so they carried it inside them. And because they carried it in their heads, they also carried it in their hearts. Perhaps around the world, we've become too reliant on external helps to our faith. You know, we need our purpose-built buildings, we need our finely-bound Bibles, we need our worship band. We don't have to remember the Bible, we can just look it up. And we can easily get obsessed by the ABCs, attendance, buildings, cash. The early church was more interested in the D, the daily life, discipleship, danger, maybe even the desert. Because with the right outlook, you can build a church from sand.
0: I found Nick's talk a fascinating insight into what church life would have been like back in the time Paul was planting in Corinth. As he said, for 300 years, the church didn't meet in public buildings, but in houses and homes, perhaps in small workshops. I love this phrase, in ordinary spaces, they shared extraordinary things. The bread and wine of communion, the stories of Jesus that have been passed down with occasional fragments of letters from the apostles. In the secret church today, as Nick also reminded us, believers across the world do continue to meet in very ordinary places, in homes or tents, very low-key, No frills, very little set up, versatile and ready to move or scatter quickly in the case of trouble. No public buildings with running costs and upkeep and furniture and equipment. And of course this way of church means that there's necessarily much more focus on the internals than the externals. You know when Bibles are few and far between or in Paul's day not even written yet, then the emphasis is on learning God's truth by heart and internalising it. And when joyful singing might draw unwanted attention, you figure out different and quieter ways of worshipping God together. Well, we are not living under persecution, but with lockdown we have found that some of the ways in which we normally express our faith have had to change. For example, we can't meet in a building, we can't sing together at the minute. And for some of us, we found this season really challenging, because it has shown us that maybe we've become over-reliant on these external factors to help us stay close to God. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they aren't the real substance of our faith. And in lockdown, we've had to focus much more on internal habits to encounter God's presence. Nick talks about three externals. He talks about buildings and leather-bound Bibles and worship bands. And I just wanted to reflect on each of these briefly. In this season, church buildings have been closed for worship. And although we have always said that the church isn't the building, it's the people, now we're finding we actually have to live that out. I love this cartoon The church is empty because everyone is busy helping at the food bank or delivering prescriptions or creating online worship or running the debt advice centre or helping the community. And at Winchester Vineyard Church, you know, God has blessed us with a fantastic building and we're so grateful for all that enables us to do. But at the end of the day, it's only a facility and it's not central to our faith. Sometimes our language doesn't really help us here. You know, we say we're going to church, but in truth, we don't go to church. We are the church. It's probably more accurate to say we gather as church. Now, I know that we know this and it's just cultural semantics. And I suspect that actually for many of us, though, the challenge in this season has not been about the building itself, but about what the building enables, the fact that our building is closed and we can't gather. So rather perhaps than being over-reliant on the building, perhaps it's actually the big church gathering that takes place inside the building that we might have become a bit over-reliant on. These kind of gatherings, of course, never happened in Paul's day, not for the first 300 years. And they can't happen for many Christians today. Now, don't get me wrong, I love big church gatherings. I have really missed them and there are some great things about them. You know, I've missed the sense of family and the encouragement and the momentum that we experience when we're all in the same room together. And I love it when we sing together, when we lift our voices and passionately unite in worship of Jesus. Our big gatherings remind us that we're not alone that we're part of a larger community, that we're all pursuing the same goals and going in the same direction. And there's an increased sense of faith and expectation when we're gathered together. But there are some challenges with big church gatherings too, aren't there? You know, for some it can be easy to get lost in the crowd, to feel disconnected from people if we don't know anyone. For others it can be easy to hide in the crowd and just go along with the flow rather than facing up to reality or really being honest with anyone which is why we have such a high emphasis on life groups in our church. Real relationships are crucial to grow. And I do say this really cautiously, but I've noticed over the years that some of us can get into a bit of a mindset where, for various reasons, we find it hard to connect with God for ourselves personally, and so we actually become reliant on the big church gathering to keep our connection. We kind of live out our relationship with God vicariously through the church service or through the song worship or the leader or the atmosphere, or the feelings that all those things conjure up for us. Now don't get me wrong, all of these different elements are a wonderful blessing, but it's easy to become reliant on them, and in their place we need to find ordinary spaces where extraordinary things can happen in our own lives. We need the time and the place in our own homes, or even out of our homes, when we can meet God for ourselves. We may not have much time. We may be caring for younger ones or older ones. Life continues to be stressful for many of us in lockdown, but we can make a choice to take a few moments to turn off the noise and spend some time with God. I mean, we're doing it right now. You're watching this service. So why not take some more time later on this week just to reflect and to pray and to be on your own with God in your own space? Another thing that Nick talked about was worship bands, and maybe we rely on the Sunday worship band to help us express our faith or perhaps not even on the band itself but on a particular style of music or particular songs or instruments or worship leaders or just on the big sound you know we're creatures of habit and we get used to worshipping in a certain way and it's a real blessing our worship is a real blessing but when it's taken away we find ourselves struggling to stay close to Jesus sometimes without that worship as a, as a prop to help us being honest with you, just being honest, i found worshipping in this season challenging myself. Now I'm incredibly grateful for the way our worship leaders have consistently and faithfully led us through recorded sets on a Sunday. And I think there's something really profound about all of us worshipping in our own homes. But also being a musician, I just really miss the sound of the band, the drums and the bass. I miss, and I miss being part of a big group of people singing together and that feeling you get when that happens. For me, I often feel God's presence in those kind of environments. So I'm having to push through and deliberately find ways to worship and meet with God. Because whatever happens next, we're unlikely to be able to sing together anytime soon. So one way I've found is to go out for a walk in a field near our house, away from everyone else, with my lockdown praise playlist on my phone and singing loudly along with the tracks I have playing in my ears. And another way I've found is to sit quietly in my chair in my office at home with ambient rain sounds and mellow music and just relax and be with my father. And as well as all that, sometimes I've used the daily examine or another type of set prayer to focus my attention onto God. And I've also been journaling and processing my thoughts and feelings and writing down the things that I'm hearing God say and just the things that I'm thinking about. And so if you're struggling in this area, I want to encourage you and I want to pray for you. And I also want to remind you of two resources on the Vineyard Church's website that are freely available. Spiritual formation cards and spiritual exercises. Both of them are worth investigating further. And you can find them on Vineyard Church's uh, website. Lastly, Nick talked about the Bible. He actually talks about leather-bound Bibles and how we perhaps take those for granted. I don't know how many of you have a leather-bound Bible, but um, I thought it was interesting. You know, I've just read this book, God's Smuggler, by Brother Andrew. It's a classic. And he describes the way that he used to smuggle Bibles into communist countries where they were illegal where, and where there were Christians who didn't have them. And Brother Andrew started Open Doors, and 50 years on, they're still doing the same thing, helping secret believers today who don't own their own Bible. I think one of the things for us that we might just take for granted is just how accessible God's Word is to us. You know, we can buy all kinds of Bibles, leather-bound or whatever, on Amazon. We can download the text to our phones and on our computers. When I was growing up in church, we were given a Bible when we moved to a new Sunday school group. I think I've still got them. And we were encouraged to memorise Bible verses and we were given stickers and prizes for doing so. And looking back, it all seems a bit old school, but actually I think it really helped me to internalise some of God's truth. Now it's a lot easier, I can search up a Bible reference on Google. So in some ways I don't really even need to know the key verses in the same way, but when I do know them, it really internalises my faith. It can be so easy to read the Bible in a comfortable way, can't it? Just picking out verses one at a time, avoiding the tricky bits, or even worse still, only, just, only reading and understanding it through other people's lenses. You know, if the only Bible that you ever read is what's read to you in a church sermon then although that's good, you're really missing out. That was one of the key reasons for us last year to do the Year of Biblical Literacy, to increase our understanding of the Bible, to read it purposefully and thoughtfully and regularly. And even now, if you're struggling to connect with God, I suggest a thoughtful approach to reading the Bible. Maybe pick out a short Bible plan and work through it with a friend or two. You can look on Bible.com or download the YouVersion app. And there are all kinds of themed Bible reading plans. Some are short, just a few days, a week, two weeks or a month. Some are longer. Have a look and find something that will encourage you and help make God's truth an internal reality. So it's important in this season that we push into the internals of our faith. You know, our relationship with God is vital. We need to invest in it now and not just wait until things get back to normal. I'm not sure they will for some time yet anyway. And if I'm honest, I don't even know what the new normal will be. God told Paul to stay where you are and continue to speak about how there are many in this city who are my people. And I think God wants to say something similar to us in this time. Winchester Vineyard, stay where you are and continue to speak. There are many in this city who are my people. And you know, guys, with all of my heart as the pastor of Winchester Vineyard, while I would love to be back in the same room as all of you, I think the Lord is encouraging us to stay where we are. And to continue to bring hope and life to our communities. And to continue sharing with our neighbours and supporting those in need and speaking positive truth to an anxious world. This is a journey for all of us as we keep investing in our internal life with God and not just harking back to the externals of our faith. We will be transformed. We will grow. We will experience God's presence in unexpected ways and in normal places. And we will be used by him to further his kingdom in this season. There's never been a better opportunity for God's kingdom to flourish. There are so many people right now who are asking questions and looking for hope and help in this season. And I do understand that some of us are beginning to feel really isolated. And we really wanna be back in the building. We wanna be back with our friends. And the truth is over the next few weeks, we are gonna explore how we can start using our building for some people to meet safely in small groups. But we're not gonna be back together in a big setting for some time yet. And in the next few months, if we do gather, it's much more likely to look like small groups and localised meetings. I think Winchester Vineyard is probably going to look more like that early Corinthian church in the next few months. We'll need to be lightweight and flexible, with as little structure as possible so we can respond to what's going on in our nation and what God is doing in our communities. That's certainly how we as leaders are praying. And I know that God is using this time to strengthen us. And we'll continue to do that as we proactively press into our times with him. So I hope this encourages you. Even if you find it challenging, I hope that you know that God is with you. I'm going to pray for us. Because I strongly believe that God wasn't surprised by COVID-19. And in fact, despite all the challenges, he has an incredible plan to extend his kingdom through the lives and actions and words of his faithful people. And that's you and me. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Guys, why don't you open your hands and your hearts and why don't you allow God's Holy Spirit to come and just rest with you right now? Holy Spirit, would you come and quicken to us those parts of this talk that you want for us to pay attention to? Those things that are resonating inside, show us how you want us to respond and come and be with us, we pray. And I want to pray particularly for those who are struggling to connect with God in this time. For those of us that are really finding it tricky. That find we're just, for whatever reason, sort of feel a bit blocked or a bit stuck. Holy Spirit, would you come and be with those people? And would you come and unblock and unstick them? And would you come and help them to internalise their faith and to meet with you now? I want to pray for those who are experiencing anxiety and stress Holy Spirit would you come and bring peace and comfort and I want to pray for those who are feeling lonely and isolated Holy Spirit please come and bring them friendship, company, fun and I think the Holy Spirit wants to commission us as well To be Jesus to our families and communities. Holy Spirit, would you come and commission us to be your eyes and ears and your hands and your feet, in our own community, in our own family. We open our hearts to you, we open our hands to you. Would you come and fill us with your love and your presence and would you empower us and commission us to go out and do the works of Jesus in our everyday lives, in our ordinary spaces. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you that you are with us. We pray blessing on everyone who's watching. We pray blessing on those particularly who are watching who don't know you yet. Those who perhaps for the first time are thinking about making a commitment to Jesus. If that's you, just open your hands and your heart and let me pray for you. Lord, fill them, bless them and meet them and empower them and encourage them exactly where they are now. We bless you, Holy Spirit, we welcome you, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you for teaching us and we pray that as we ponder on this talk that you would continue to help us grow and for our faith to grow strong, for our hearts to grow big so that we're ready to share your love and your hope with all of me, all around us. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.